This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberling. Hello, and welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 29. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube. Apple, Spotify, Amazon, etc. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham and Parisa Noble. Kyler and Parisa, welcome back to the show as always. Thank you. Hello, hello. Thanks for being here. And uh, we've got an exciting show for you guys today and for, for the audience. Um, first of all, we're going to um, dive into some, we're going to open up the segment by talking about cybersecurity, um, the cybersecurity workforce, the hiring process, the shortage in cybersecurity right now. And uh, cybersecurity has been one of those topics that we've we've sort of revisited and touched on a few different times throughout our 29 episodes so far. And uh, we've got some more developments and more things to unpack on that front. So that's where we'll start off today. Is That's where we'll start off today, I should say, with the uh, cybersecurity piece of it. And then later, we're going to have a guest on the show from the Third Stage team, uh, Teresa Richardson from uh, Third Stage here in the U.S. Um, she's going to be on and she's going to be talking with me about organizational change management sort of the basics and the fundamentals of change management, what it means, how to get started, why it's so important, um, things to watch for, all that good stuff. We're going to ask her a lot of questions around that. And then the third segment later in the show will be the three of us sort of debriefing or unpacking the topics that Teresa and I cover uh, in our interview later. So exciting show. We're going to cover a pretty broad spectrum of stuff, getting from the real technical cybersecurity stuff all the way to the the soft, touchy-feely side of, of change management as well. So that's, uh, we're covering the whole spectrum of, of transformation here today. But before we bring on Teresa, um, let's talk about the cybersecurity issue, Parisa. What, uh, what, what, what's on your mind along those fronts or what are you seeing in the news? Yeah, well, it's interesting because we, we're going to talk a lot about change management today. But I want to zoom out and look at all of the change that we've gone through in the past 5, 10, 15, 20 years as a society and just adapting to these new and emerging technologies. And when things change so quickly and on such a massive scale, you're bound to hit some pain points. And that pain point right now is a massive shortage in cybersecurity workers. It's projected that by 2022, we're going to hit about 1.8 million in unfilled jobs, according to the Center for Cyber Safety and Education. And you know, it's it just comes back to that question of we're progressing at this rate, but are we protecting ourselves at the same rate? Are we doing everything that we need to do in order to kind of have that full scope, well-rounded approach to emerging technology rather than just building, 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 evolving, 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 and not kind of cleaning it up on the back end? So it sparked a question. I mean, while, you know, again, we're talking about change this episode, right? And I we're always talking about change tactics when it comes to small businesses, to medium-sized businesses, to large businesses, Fortune 500 businesses. But when you talk about a societal scale, when you're shifting, you know, kind of an entire country or almost like a whole human race, if you will, into a new direction of living, you know, 
I, I wonder if those same change management tactics apply. You know, if we look back at, you know, whoever was running the show 20 years ago and we sat them down and asked, do you have a change management strategy ready for what's coming? Uh, you know, I wonder if their answer would be yes, <laughs> because, you know, there's a lot. Of, it seems like there's a lot of holes with cybersecurity being one of those holes. So I'm curious. I want to open up the dialogue with you guys before we kind of move on to the other elements that I found on this topic. But when you look at large scale change on a societal level and on a business level, are there similar um, elements that go into building out a sound OCM strategy? Yeah, I, th I think the fundamentals of, of change management are largely relevant, you know, in in the olden days, if you will, and as, as much as, as today. I think the difference with today, though, is what you mentioned around societal change and just the magnitude of change that society is going through up, up until 2020, you know, we were talking about how technology was changing so quickly and how, um, you know, there's just so many advancements in technology with AI. And we've talked about autonomous vehicles on the show before and other sorts of emerging technologies. So on, on one hand, that trend's already been in place, but then you add the societal changes with, with COVID and the pandemic and the, and the quarantines and the impacts that's had on organizational business models and the way people work and uh, people's priorities in life, their focus on health and safety, you know, th those sorts of things are all um, big changes that we're all, you know, still getting used to in some ways. Um, but the good news with change management is if you do it right and you have the right framework and the right approach and the right mentality, it should be relevant, you know, even as the change continues to accelerate, that change management approach becomes even more important um, so I'd say that's the one thing is it's, it just becomes more important. I don't know that the approach itself changes. Your focus might change and the, the actions and the tactics and the strategies you use to overcome the change management resistance to change, um, that might be a bit different, but the, the overall framework uh, should be largely the same in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. You have these proven tactics, uh, that you could implement and use regardless of the scale of change, but it's just overlooked so far too often. I mean, it's like you said, it's that touchy feely side. It's that people side, almost that psychological side. And, you know, it, if it's overlooked, you're kind of stuck with your back against the wall, not knowing which direction to go. So, you know, I think it's interesting to look at it in this lens with, you know, where we're at with cybersecurity, because the two are matched. They're, they're a pair. You know, if you are, developing new technologies, then you should also be developing cybersecurity strategies and, and technologies as well in parallel. It shouldn't be an afterthought, which I feel like it has become that. And now we have this giant gap in the workforce um, and people aren't or haven't been up to this point as adamant um, about going after a career in cybersecurity as maybe they could have been if we positioned it as, you know, this is a great career. It's going to be in demand, you know, just kind of, uh, adding that what's in it for me, uh, you know, message to pulling people into this industry. So I look at how they're combating that and companies like IBM and FireEye, they're pointing to a new way of, you know, really just a new perception going to the table, to the hiring table with, uh, just kind of a new perspective. IT is a very technical, obviously, subject. You need to be educated on, on the matter. You need to know what you're doing. But with the current cybersecurity situation, they're saying drop degree requirements for cybersecurity jobs and focus more on the people who 
are, you know, getting the certifications, who have the technical skills, who are, you know, the critical think thinkers and have the aptitude to, you know, do well at that. Don't necessarily base it on do they have their degree. And this is called the new collar approach. So I find it interesting because that's something that's so far beyond what we've ever thought of is, you know, go to school, get good grades, get your degree, and then you'll get a job um, in IT. And now we're kind of pivoting. And I don't know if it's just because there's a massive need for it or if it's, you know, actually helpful to focus on that exact skill and come out of, you know, a course or certification program knowing exactly that. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Do you think you can trust it if it's somebody that's solely focused and collecting on collecting those certificates? Or would you rather have somebody who has a degree? Well, I think it's uh, it's such a uh, focused discipline. It's almost like, a, you know, it reminds me a little bit of, of, you know, skilled labor and how it's, you don't necessarily need a, a college degree to do skilled labor. Um, and even though this is, this is more of a white collar variation of, of skilled labor, it's, you know, you need that just focus on something very specific and very deep. So I don't know, you know, I personally, you know, if I were hiring a cybersecurity expert, I, I don't know that I would care a whole lot if they had a college degree, as long as they had the right certifications, the right knowledge, and they understood, you know, some of the ever changing aspects of, of cybersecurity for sure. Interesting. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, you just want somebody who knows how to do it, <laughs> right? That's all that matters. Now, I, w I was looking into recent uh, cyber threats that we've come across. You know, we had solar winds, obviously. We had the Colonial Pipeline. There was a recent one at the beginning of July. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing it right, Kaseya. Do you know if it's called? What is it? Well, Kaseya. We're going to just go we'll with, go with that. that. Sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's an IT management software, and they were a victim of a ransomware attack that uh, froze data for about 2,000 companies. Um, and what I thought was amazing, though, was that they didn't pay the ransom. They ended up being able to decrypt the data and get all of the companies out of it without paying the ransom. Isn't that amazing? That is. That's really interesting. It is. So Kudos sort of to a... them. Good job, guys. But <laughs> it just it sparked another um, conversation in the U.S. that they need to really buckle down and start protecting or, or improve their protection for their infrastructure. So, um, you know, there's a huge partnership that's coming down the pipeline between the United States government and companies like Amazon, Google, Microsoft to help fight those cyber threats and fight the, the ransomware attacks. Um, and it's interesting to just see how the public sector and the private sector are coming together even more now than, um, in the past, just to, kind of keep up with how the world is changing and, um, you know, protect all of our assets. Uh, it's called the Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative. So you'll, you'll probably see this coming out in the news. Um, it's, it's likely going to play a large role in just how the country operates going forward. Because if you think about it, you know, you have public sector jobs, right? You, you, you could go get a job you know, as a cybersecurity worker for the government. And statistically, I think it's about 60 to 65,000 a year. Whereas if you go into the private sector, you're probably going to be making a hundred grand a year. So you're, you're getting paid more in the private sector. So what is the, the fruit that would pull people to the government? You know, you get good benefits, I guess, but at the end of the day, they're going to need to collaborate. So I think you're going to see a lot more, um, 
collaborations with these these giant tech companies and the U.S. when it comes to cybersecurity to help fill the void. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. Yeah, it sounds like a good, maybe a good hybrid approach to, to addressing it to where you're not relying on just the lower paid resources, which, you know, you in some cases might be lower qualified or lesser, less marketable uh, types of resources as well. Mm-hmm. It's interesting stuff. So hopefully, you know, if you are interested, if you're listening and you're interested in cybersecurity, now's a good time right. to get in there. <laughs> right. There's a huge need. Yeah. And that workforce, yeah, especially with the, sorry, go ahead, Eric. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So well, that... I was just going to say, especially with the emergence of the cloud and oh, the, right. uh, COVID yeah, and people working remotely in the hybrid situations, all that stuff, I think will, will add to the need in the future, not just right now, but in the future as well, for sure. Yeah. You know, another interesting thing that I saw tangent, but it is the software supply chain uh, that is in the spotlight right now because you have these companies like Kaseya or like SolarWinds who push out these updates or push out software to thousands of companies. Um, and there's a conversation happening right now with the government wanting to kind of put those uh, software suppliers in the ringer before they bring them on as a service provider, just because there are so many things that are happening with solar winds, with Kasaya, they don't want to have people come or software supplier suppliers come into the picture as one of their vendors and then um, make the United States government vulnerable based off of their stuff. So there's talks of, you know, third party testing companies coming in to kind of act as the gatekeeper and test whatever software that the government is going to utilize before the government actually brings them on as a vendor Um, and just different initiatives to help make sure that all of these software providers are, are, buttoned up and have their cybersecurity in check before, you know, they download their software into the United States computers or into these big companies, um, servers, networks, et cetera. So lots of things happening right now. It's, it's ever changing the, the topic of cybersecurity and just technology, obviously in general. But, uh, you know, I think within just the next couple of years, you'll see a whole new, uh, landscape. Yeah. That's interesting how, how much that is changing. And, mm-hmm. and Kyler, I interrupted you a few minutes ago. What were you? Uh, oh no, I was. Just, I would. I think it's really interesting, Parisa, that you picked the um, labor force to kind of um, focus in on because it just it and their training because it tends to be younger people, right? With are a bit more tech savvy, and when it comes to formalized training, how do you do that? And then how do you find you know the twelve year old in the basement that hacked the FBI and now they you know, work for the NF- NSA type of thing. Um, but I think, I mean, at least in my opinion, having that formalized training would be, you know, obsolete at this point because there's not a structure to teach. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that, that we have the opportunity to leverage some of the private sector because obviously those companies and government entities haven't exactly worked well together. Um, in the last couple of years. So hopefully that will lead to a bit more collaboration and just how do we protect information and technology in general. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're all on the same team. Yep. And it's, <laughs> it's a good point too, in that, you know, training or formal education, I suspect, wouldn't be able to keep up with the, the magnitude of change and the, and the pace of change with, with a lot of the cybersecurity stuff happening right now. 
Yep. And then, you know, it's fascinating. Right. Being in that situation as a company, as an entity, right. And that someone has a ransomware attack and what are they supposed to do at that point without that technical ability? So I think there's an opportunity there, right. For more of like a triage approach, whether it is a private sector company or a hybrid type of model, like we're talking about, to help those. Because, you know, the first answer by the government is, you know, we don't negotiate with anyone like that. Well, when they have your livelihood, your entire company at stake, that's much easier said than done, right? So um, hopefully that that will have some tactics to be able to help companies in that situation. Um, or I think we're going to have a lot of people not saying anything. And that's way way, way worse, right, by going through this without bringing awareness to the overall issue because you're scared, you know, that you're not going to be able to get your hands back on the wheel when it comes to those types of attacks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a good stuff. It's a ongoing, I think this thread is something we're going to keep coming back to on this, on this episode as things continue to unfold and we start to see how organizations and uh, private companies and public uh, organizations react to this uh, going forward in the future. So good stuff. Well, thanks for, thanks for bringing this all up. This is a, an, always an interesting topic. It's, it's, it's such a fascinating area uh, to me and becoming so important as you guys have, have mentioned. So uh, with that, we're going to shift gears quite a bit, actually, after a break, we're going to move from cybersecurity into organizational change, which uh, if you watch this show, you know, we, uh, we try to, we try to mention organizational change at least a dozen times in each episode. And in some way, I think it's, it's hard to go through an episode without somehow coming back to change management. So we figured we'd just embrace it and bring on a guest where all we do is talk about change management. Uh, so we're going to do that after a quick break. We'll be right back with more transformation ground control. If you are aiming for transformation success, Turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, Contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler and Parisa, as always, and excited for our, our next guest here today. Uh, Teresa Richardson is a uh, senior consultant at Third Stage Consulting, um, someone who focuses on organizational change management. So we thought it'd be great to have her on the show to really unpack the fundamentals or the basics of organizational change. But I really wanted to sort of bring it down from the sort of conceptual academic level of change down to the just the basics of what is change management. Why is it important? What are the pitfalls? How do you get started? Just sort of the basic fundamentals of organizational change management. So I'm excited for our next guest, uh, Teresa. Thanks for being here today. I am happy to be here. I'm so excited to talk about this. This is like one of my passions. So I'm ready to share my knowledge. 
I know my my only worry here today is how are we going to possibly do this interview in a, in a reasonable amount of time without taking two to three to four hours talking about change yeah. management. So that's going to be the hardest part of today's conversation between you and I. So that'll, that'll sure. be the challenge. <laughs> okay. So, so uh, before we, or as we're getting started here, if you are watching this live, or even if you're watching your recording after the fact, if you don't mind, just drop in the comment box, wherever you're watching, whether it's YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, Crowdcast, wherever you're watching, uh, just drop in the chat box where you're joining us from today. I'd love to love to hear where you're from and uh, maybe what your role is on your transformation if you're in the middle of one. Uh, so either or both of those pieces of info will just help us understand you a little bit better. Um, so uh, that'll be said, uh, Teresa, let's start um, with maybe a quick introduction. Maybe tell us a little bit about you and, and you know, how did you grow up in the world of change management and transformation? Sure. So uh, I'm originally from Michigan and my career started out as organic growth. Right. So being from Michigan, you know, you have a limited amount of uh, industries you can choose from. And, and primarily it was at the time healthcare and or manufacturing. So I started off in manufacturing um, where I got my taste uh, of process improvements, uh, Lean Six Sigma Black Belt work, Red X Strategies work. Um, and through my journey, I understood that you can't just look at a process or a technology and expect it to work with people involved. Um, so I have my Lean Sigma Six Sigma Black Belt. I also have uh, a precise certification in change management. I'm an executive leadership coach. And in terms of industry experience, as I stated, healthcare, manufacturing, IT, logistics, distribution, and wealth management. So kind of had the whole spectrum and, and uh, I've been growing along the way. Very good. Constantly learning and uh, applying those pretty broad skill sets to a number of different situations. I want to come back to that too, by the way, because I'm always fascinated by anyone who's not just a change management practitioner, but also has other um other disciplines that they focus on. I think that's a fascinating combination. So I'm going to come back and ask you sure. a question about that here sure, sure, sure. in a second. But before before we dive into that, though, maybe just for just for the average person that might be listening that doesn't really know what change management is, they've heard the term. Maybe they know it's important, but what in the world does change management mean? How would you how would you sort of simplify it, dumb it down, however you want to describe it, just for the person that doesn't know much about change management? Well, what I will say. Uh, is I will say what it is not. It is not fuzzy bunnies and rainbows and kittens. Okay, that is that is not it. Um, to me, it's a systematic uh, approach that deals with technology processes as well as people. So we have tools and techniques that really address the the process and technology, but also the people side of change. It's very important to understand that whatever initiative you're doing people will be involved and you need to understand how these impacts uh, affect them, what are their stressors, uh, be able to identify resistance uh, points so you can create plans and actionable items to address those and, and really help people along the way to not only embrace it and accept it, but own it in a nutshell. <laughs> I, I love how you stated what it's not, because I think that's, even though that's not what I asked, I, I think it's perfect description because that I, I agree that a lot of, especially at the executive level, you find that people think that, oh, it's just a kumbaya session mm -hmm. or a, a way to make people feel good. 
maybe it has that unintended uh, benefit, but the real benefit is to really transform the business, deliver value, you know, more tangible results. Yeah. And also when, when people who hear change management, um, traditionally they think change management, uh, steering committees, things like that, where you get a group of people together that make decisions on a process or technology change. It's not really addressing the people side of change. Um, I had an interesting conversation today with uh, a potential sponsor and through our conversation uh, and dialogue, it was a, I was painfully aware what he thought change management was in his traditional role versus what we were trying to accomplish. Um, so again, having the skill set of identifying those nonverbal cues, change in and inflection, even the way they're answering questions kind of led me down the path to get an understanding of where he was really at in terms of understanding his role as sponsor. Hmm. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Well, so we've talked a little bit about at a high level what change management is, what it's not. Um, why is it? Why is it so important? It sounds like a no brainer question, but but I think it's a really important question. Yep. <laughs> so this is another favorite question of mine. So whenever I'm talking to a client or a team, um, I ask them, you know, to tell me about your process. Is your process ninety nine point nine percent automated? And nine times out of 10, they tell me no. Well, if there is a people factor in your process or technology change, you cannot ignore that. So it's very, very important to get the understanding that we are impacting the, the, the way people do their jobs, their, their daily lives between nine to five or whatever. So you have to be able to understand where they're at in their understanding, how to communicate the changes, how to identify potential resistors and be able to mitigate that and, and, and create a change team that can address those when you're not around as a change management professional. Yeah, yeah, perfect. And and uh, one thing that, that I found in uh, that sort of validates what you're saying, the importance of change management is that in, in any time we're hired to go do a project recovery and sort of clean up a failed project, or when we're hired as an expert witness to provide an opinion on why a project failed, it almost always comes back to change management. There's some heavy change management failure that led the problem. It's usually not because the technology didn't work or even that the right. processes didn't work. It's because the people side of the equation wasn't addressed well. And, and honestly, I am a firm believer that people don't come to work to want to do a bad job. They come to work to be productive, to be part of something, to be part of a solution. And if you miss that opportunity to bring your team into the fold, to have those conversations, uh, it, it can impact the success of what you're doing. So, you know, when you have people who actually touch the process and they're the closest, they have the most valuable information. It's really easy to, you know, configure something or draw something, but until you're understanding how that is impacting the people who are actually using it, you're going to miss a big opportunity. So you should probably get into the change management mindset early on to, create that wealth of knowledge you can use to mitigate any any you know resistors or issues you have moving forward it's better to do it up front than to do midpoint or after because then you've created another issue right right yeah yeah and it just taking that one step further it's i think it's important to think of change management as 
something that's on your critical path. You know, yes. the, the ultimate time and cost of your transformation is going to be largely determined by how well you address change management. And while it may seem like a net investment or a, uh, a net cost, it really isn't. I mean, it's actually going to save you time and money by handling change management well. Um, Absolutely. So that's an important point. Okay, Teresa, thanks for that. We're going to come back. We have a lot more to talk about. We're going to take a quick break and we'll ask you some more questions as soon as we come back from a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. I'm all right today. You don't find if you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. And we are here talking to Teresa Richardson about organizational change management. So let's pick up where we left off before the break. I guess a, a follow-up question to to why change is so important. You know, why is it so hard? Why do, why do so many organizations struggle with change in general, especially as it relates to the human component? I honestly think that, and again, I believe people don't come to work wanting to do a bad job. I just think that the education, the awareness of what it really is, isn't there. So um, even the conversation I had today with, with a client, um, he came from Michigan. He understood, you know, manufacturing and, and the importance of getting in early, making sure these changes are identified and we have plans to do them. But a senior level management wasn't as passionate as he is at this point to address those issues. So getting the awareness of what change management is and how to implement, when to implement and the best mitigators around the problem that that we can come up with is is why I feel people don't engage soon enough. It's it's when you have the initiative rolling of process and technology and things aren't really moving to where they need to go and they ask why. Why is this happening? And then at that point, yes, we come in and we help, but it would have saved to your to your point time, money, resources had we gotten in earlier. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and, it, and the other thing that that does, that approach that you're advocating of, of getting in earlier and addressing change management earlier is you get to see how big the bread box is, you know, how much of a change or an impact is this really going to have? I think a lot of times companies think, well, let's just wait until we get closer to go live and we think about training and yep. doing some of that downstream stuff, but they don't, but by then you've already walked into a, a mess of organizational challenges and pitfalls and risks. Especially if you're uh, merging cultures. So, you know, you, you think that, okay, we have the best culture, but guess what? Those two other merger companies think they have the best culture. They have the best processes. So right from the onset, in, even in planning phase, you have a mindset that 
goes against what you're trying to create, which is one cohesive organization. So if you're only looking at the nuts and bolts and the process steps and trying to figure out, you know, which up, which you need to follow as a, as an organization, you miss all of those nonverbal cues, the, those unspoken attitudes and perceptions that once you do create a process or technology that you're going to have to address. You have to address it unless, again, your process is 99.99% automated, people are involved, and you need to address the people factor. So it, you just can't get around it. Or or you're going to pay now or pay later, right? So pick your poison, right? Yeah. Well, let me take, let me play devil's advocate. I'm going to talk about a process that I might automate 99.99%. And you can tell me if there's a change impact here or not, but let's just say I'm using, uh, you know, artificial intelligence or robotic process automation, you know, one of these really cool technologies that are, you know, offered as a standalone or that are integrated within, you know, enterprise technologies of different sorts. Um, game-changing stuff that could totally streamline a process or an operations. Um, does that mean that change management won't be important in that case? Or or how would change, if so, if, if it is going to be important, how would change management fit into that, something like that? So I guess let me ask you a question. So you have a process that's evolved to become more efficient, more automated, et cetera, right? So you've grown to a level. Now you need less people, but you're going to need people. So when you're trying to get to that next level of generation or growth, it's not going to happen automatically. You're still going to have people involved. You're still going to need to understand, you know, what were the barriers? What were the, the problems? You know, what are the, the best opportunities, the best practice, et cetera? What are the results? How do you interpret the results? Are they, do these results make sense to the people involved? So there's still a component of people if you want to continue growing in your practice. Now, if you don't and you just want to level and, you know, stay there stagnant forever, I would say, you know, maybe you're going to have to figure out is the button to push by the human in the right place every time. I don't know. Right. <laughs> but, right. I mean, so I liken change management to dinosaurs, right? If you don't change you're going to end up dying out. If you don't evolve, you, you got to keep moving. And in business today, it's so quick. And, and the speed is, is mind-blowing sometimes. And if you're not capturing that the change in the people, uh, process, technology, you're going to miss out. So our markets are driven by competition. You have to have a competitive edge. And honestly, from what I've seen, the competitive edge is our people. We have to give them the respect and the due diligence to understand how can we not only make our process and technology better, but how can we make our people better? How can we involve them? How can we grow ownership, accountability? Because they're the ones at the end of the day that produce the results. Right. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, I, I can't think, I can't remember how long I've been hearing the same comment from executives and project teams of, well, you know, we've got this change or this new technology, a process improvement that's going to allow people to do less manual work and focus more on the strategic aspects of their job. Mm -hmm. And it sounds good in theory, and maybe you, you plug in a number in your business case that somehow quantifies that. But what does that mean? You know, if I'm right. a, if I'm I'm an employee and you're bringing in artificial intelligence or any sort of technology to automate what I'm doing, 
and you're taking away some of my manual work that's low value, what does that mean for my job? Am I going to, exactly. what, what, what am I going to fill my time with if I'm not spending half my time doing manual stuff or whatever the case would be? So well, I think that's again, a really good point. I think through, through the evolution of growth, you know, we're taking to your example, people who are engaged in manual work and now you want to elevate them to more strategic, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's still going to assist your AI. It's still going to help your growth. But if you're not addressing the changes, even in their roles and responsibilities, you know, you have changes in reporting structure, changes in tools that you're using. They're going from manual to this. And what does that mean? And how do I connect to my new position? In my experience, most resistance comes from a place of not understanding what the change is, why are we doing it, and how is it impacting me? Once we address that, the ownership and accountability grows. And I've seen teams that have exploded. And I'm like, you know, that mama bird looking at her little birdies flying out and being all successful. It's the best feeling. I'm telling you, it's it's amazing. And it just took someone to identify those opportunities, put a plan together and work through it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what are some <laughs> of the biggest pitfalls or change pitfalls you see from a from a change management perspective typically when you're working with with our different clients um so the first would be the time of inclusion of change management so when when do we get to be part of the conversation um traditionally it's been midpoint or end like a handoff type thing which again we, we discussed earlier that's a huge opportunity missed right and if we are lucky enough to get in at the ground level right, to help build the foundation, because what happens when you build a foundation on sand, it kind of shifts, but, you know, change management can help build a solid foundation. Um, the understanding of what change management is, an understanding of what the roles and responsibilities are from a change management perspective, in my opinion, is the next biggest opportunity, as well as understanding how to communicate the changes at what levels, when are you going to do it, um, and creating that community of change agents. Like one person cannot move a mountain. You need to create an army of people who believe in what you're doing, embrace the change, and help it move forward. You really need to. And then creating trust in your teams is so important. Um, walk the walk. Walk the walk. You know, if, if I tell you, you know, hey, Eric, I'm going to come to you every Friday and we're going to have a download. First couple of Fridays, we have our download and the third one is skipped. I just broke your trust. And now anything else that I tell you, you're not going to accept. So you have to be able to have those things in place in order to continue growing your change management initiative. Right. Now, let me know if I talk a little fast because I kind of like get on my soapbox and run with it. So. <laughs> no, that's that's important. And those are those are some really good pitfalls. And actually you triggered another question about um, when, you, when you were talking about, you know, not getting change management started uh, at the right time. When you think about when a, a change program should start and when it should finish, what, what does that timing look like? When, when and where does it fit within an overall transformation? How do we understand that? Sure. So in my opinion, it's helpful to start at the inception of a project. Because having that change management scope and mindset, you're going to be asking questions that someone else might not have asked, right? You're coming from a different perspective. Um, and from my 
experience, you need to look at whatever it is you're doing from every angle to get every perspective you can so you can get ahead of the issues, right? Change management should be in the beginning, middle, and does it really end is the question, right? So you've just created this army of change agents that are excited and you know they're engaged and they own it and they're accountable. Do you really want as an organization to stop the momentum? Because change does not live in one project only. It's the way to grow your company. Because if I know that my ideas are going to be heard and maybe entertained, maybe something I come up with will be working and maybe it won't. I still know what I'm doing is I'm adding value to the company. I'm part of the company and its success and growth. If you cut that off at the end of a project, you are really doing a disservice to yourself because right. human equity or human capital is what builds great companies. Right. Yeah, that's that's an important point. I mean, no matter what industry you're in or what kind of organization you have, um, that that human capital piece of it is important, especially in cases where you're trying to create a a culture that is gonna make get people excited and you yeah, know, absolutely. High morale and you want performance. And we get a lot of clients who will say, you know, we've got these high standards for our human capital management function and how we treat employees, the culture we're creating. But then they go to go through this sort of transformation and they totally underperform from a change yep. management perspective. They don't realize what what a big impact this is going to be. So I, I think that's a good point. And especially in this climate, you know, you have a lot of talent looking for a place to grow and a place to flourish. And there's a lot of opportunity. So you companies, in my opinion, should capitalize on that and create atmospheres of inclusion. And we, we want to hear your ideas because, you know, like I said before, one man cannot move a mountain. It takes a team of, of people to work together to understand the challenges, put solutions in place and make it happen. So, right. Yeah. And that's not well, always easy work. Yeah. Yeah. None of this is easy work. Otherwise, I guess more people would do it and more people would be successful at it. <laughs> um, okay, Teresa, thanks for that. We're going to come back. We have a lot more to talk about. We're going to take a quick break and we'll ask you some more questions. As soon as we come back from a quick break, you're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn a third stage consulting group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. And we are here talking to Teresa Richardson about organizational change management. So let's pick up where we left off before the break. So. You, you talked about in your introduction about your background, you, you know, one thing that intrigues me about you and your, your background and your, your, your philosophy of change management 
is that you have this uh, sort of multidisciplinary view or, or background, I guess I'd call mm -hmm. it. So you have the change management background, but you also mentioned, uh, you know, obviously the ProSci certification is part of that change management background. And then you mentioned um, Six Sigma. How would you, in your opinion, how do or should other disciplines like Six Sigma or process reengineering or other, call it non-change management-ish types of uh, disciplines, how should they tie together or integrate, or should they tie together and integrate with with change initiatives? I think they absolutely should, um, because whatever skill set you have, it needs to continue growing. So in my early career, uh, working for some of the big three, they put their supervisors through um, like trainings on you know, how to have conversation, how to have difficult conversations, how to actively listen, um, how to understand the root cause of X, Y, and Z, right? Those skills translate to so many different things. It, 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 it boggles my mind now how they've been able to, now that I look at it, how it ties together, right? So if I want to create trust in a team, I have to be able to listen and to listen to understand as opposed to listen to respond. That was way back in my career. And that has served me very well as a change management person. From change management, if you sit there and only look at the people uh, you know, prospect and you don't see or call out opportunities for improvement and process step or technology, you're doing your team a disservice. So having those skill sets really fold into each other and they're very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And in one of the uh, interview questions we ask when we're recruiting our change team is we'll ask the question to try and draw that out. Like, do you view yourself as just a change management person or do you view yourself as a change management specialist among other, you know, among, among other things that you know well or, you know, looking for that, uh, looking for that understanding that it is a very integrated sort of thing and you can't operate it in the silo or sort of off on the side in parallel with the other the other project activities. It doesn't work. You want to make sure that you're a responsible team member to whoever you're with. Um, having the ability to bounce off of each other's strengths and kind of fill in with an opportunity they might not have is very important for a cohesive team and to be uh, serving your client well. And just out of curiosity, can you hear the long guys outside? Because I can close the window if you do. No? No. Okay. No. It's clear. Well, clear what I'm hearing. I'm not hearing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you'll you'll hear my dogs bark at some point. I'm sure during oh, this. Oh, uh, fine, that's fine. So, um, well, that that's interesting. And, and just as a, you know, maybe a, a word of warning to other uh, change management uh, people that might be on the on the line here listening to this interview, is he, you know, if you wonder why so many uh, change initiatives or change work streams get cut from a transformation, oftentimes it's because we make it too easy to cut. You know, we're off here operating in a silo. We're not integrated with the process improvements. We're not integrated with the technology stuff. And you're, we're just sort of over here sucking up money and resources. And when times get tough and it's time to cut budgets or really rein in the spending, we're going to cut that because we can, you know, but if you're integrated to the rest of the project, it becomes not only higher value, but it's a lot more difficult to, to cut at that point. So I think Absolutely. that's another way to look at it. Um, as well as, as you know, as I had a conversation that I, I was talking to you about earlier and an opportunity jumped out at me in terms of performance excellence and workflow. 
So as a consultant, when you have that specialized skill and training to understand what else you can bring to the table to, to the client to help them, that's a huge benefit, huge benefit. So I'm going to be proposing that later, but you know, that could be an opportunity for additional work for our team. Right. Absolutely. Well, that's a good point. And let me, um, I'm going to go over to um, LinkedIn here. We've got a, a couple of uh, uh, comments and questions here. Uh, first of all, just as far as the audience that's joining today, we've got people from Canada, Pakistan, United States, among others. Uh, but one of the, just a couple of comments here. Um, uh, I apologize. I'm going to butcher this name. There's a high likelihood I'm going to mispronounce this, but Jahanzeb, I believe it is. Uh, from Pakistan says that this topic is so close to his heart. So that's, oh, that's great. Sure. You're, you're in the right, you're in the right spot. Yay. <laughs> and then, uh, Syed from, I'm not sure where Syed's from, but, um, on LinkedIn also asked the question or makes the comment that this is his favorite topic. And then he's agreeing with some of the things we've said and saying it's about culture and people with top down and bottom up approaches. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Yeah. Kind of have to look at it from both, both angles, not just, uh, not just, you know, one prescriptive, one size fits all sort of approach to change management. I'm going to tell you how I look at it. This is my initiative. I flip it up. I turn it around. I look at every angle possible so I don't miss anything. And I make sure our team is trying to look at it the same way. It's, it's not linear. It's you just got to turn it around and figure out where's your opportunity and let's tackle it. Yeah. So uh, another question here on LinkedIn, this is also from, uh, from Syed who uh, clarified that he's from Dubai. So thank you for oh. that uh, clarification. So Syed from Dubai asked the question, and actually this relates to something else that you mentioned about executive sponsors earlier. Um, but his question is more specific to stakeholders, core stakeholders in general. And he just said, asked the question of how do you get buy-in from core stakeholders? Stakeholders. Oh, I love this question. It's the best question. And I will tell you why. You have an opportunity to get it, and it's so easy. A lot of people think it's very difficult to get the buy in, but how do you create buy in? You create buy in by creating trust. How do you create trust? You create trust by letting the other team or person know that you're hearing what they're saying and you're acknowledging their value or their input. That's what people want. People want to be part of something. And I had someone ask me the other day, like when I was going through this and they said, well, what if somebody, you know, gives you a suggestion you cannot use? Okay, the question back, well, what do you do? Tell me what you would do and well, we just don't use it. Okay, well, you're not respecting the source you're not acknowledging the effort that it took that person to even raise their hand. Because a lot of times people don't raise their hand because why? They've had a history of not being acknowledged, not having their ideas used, et cetera, et cetera. So if you at minimum say, you know what, Eric, um, thank you so much for your suggestion. We looked into it. Um, we're not able to do it at this time. And this is why we can't do it. A, B, and C but we appreciate your input and let's continue the conversation. Eventually something's going to come up where we can use and then use it. Show the team that these ideas came from the team and you're going to create a sense of ownership. You're going to create a sense of accountability and pride. That's my, one of my favorite questions. Absolutely. That's a great question. Yeah. Honestly, it's like, you know, I, I come into teams and they're like, Oh, we tried this before. Oh, someone, you know, tried to do it. And they couldn't do it. I'm like, ah, 
ah, but you, you haven't let me try. Let's do this together. Let's let's be a team together. People want to be a team. They want to have acknowledgement. There you go. It's like magic. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Teresa, thanks for that. We're going to come back. We have a lot more to talk about. We're going to take a quick break and we'll ask you some more questions as soon as we come back from a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. And we are here talking to Teresa Richardson about organizational change management. So let's pick up where we left off before the break. I guess along those lines, maybe broadening the question a little bit more, uh, who should be in charge of change management? I mean, who, who ultimately owns change management or should own change management on any sort of digital or business transformation initiative? So that's a great question. Uh, if a team is not aware of what change management is, you will have a change management lead, but they don't own the process, just like a Lean Six Sigma professional doesn't own the changes. The team owns the changes. So the work becomes, let's create change agents within the company so they can continue the success that we've had. Uh, until then, you will need a change lead. You will need to be able to educate your sponsors making sure you know that the the book that i love is from good to great making sure you have the right people in the right positions to carry forward maybe it's not a manager because you've identified this manager could be a possible resistor in coaching didn't work so we need to find somebody else on the team that can really carry it forward a title does not guarantee success and that i cannot stress enough you really need to find the individuals who create that that environment of inclusive and in inclusivity and in in energy and, and that's what people gravitate to that they gravitate to the positivity the inclusion the excitement and that's what people want to be a part of so at the end of the day after you've done all your training the team owns change management yeah it's a it's a great way to look at it and i think back to the point we we're hitting on before which is that you can't really view change management as sort of this discipline that's separate from the rest of the initiative. You might bring in experts like yourself or me or whoever to help from a change perspective, but ultimately that has to be pretty integrated into the core um, of the project. I, I, uh, I, we have a client, this one client we have that who I love, we've been working with them for years. They're a big steel company and they, they hate the term change management, but the irony is they're really good at it. 
And the reason they're good at it and the reason they hate change, man, the term change management is because they view it as sort of the soft, touchy feely thing that's yeah, off on the yeah. side. They, they don't want that. They want it to be like you're a leader in the company. Yep. You're responsible for change. Absolutely. And, um, it's almost like you have to take sort of a, almost like a Trojan horse approach to change management at times. You, you, you have to sort of manage the change without telling people that, Hey, I'm here to manage the change. You know, you, you just have to sort of do it and embed it in everything you do. And I think that's, that's another tricky part of this discipline. What do you, what are your thoughts on that? I agree with you. Uh, I, again, it's people have ways that they have used to make it up to a certain point in their career, right? And if you need to switch the view or the culture, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to be uh, iteration after change, after effort, after, you know, some things work, some things don't. I think the whole, what kind of makes me giggle sometimes is when I hear uh, change management professional professionals like myself, some of them have an issue with change within what they're doing. But that's like what we do for a living, right? You have to be okay with change and you have to be able to grow with it. So someone will have to stand up and it would be the executive sponsor and that executive sponsor leads the way. That's why it's so important for the sponsor to understand their role. They have to be active. They have to be visible. They have to create that change network and they have to be able to communicate to their level of influence and create a cascaded communication so every part of the organization that has that change is spoken to from that what's in it for me perspective yeah so if i if i'm let's just say i'm a team member on a on a pro on a company that's going through a transformation and i'm not necessarily a change expert we don't necessarily have a change team in place but i but i recognize how important it is and i'm listening to this interview saying wow we should probably figure out how we're going to strategically address change management as part of our transformation. But maybe I'm the only one thinking about that right now. How do I, how do I educate others or, you know, the call them the real decision makers or the people <laughs> within the organization need to be influenced? How do I convince them how important change management is? Have you seen that before? Uh, yeah, actually I have. So I think the, the best way to address that is not to go to the, the stance of, telling you anything. Let me ask you a question. What's changing? Why is it changing? How is this going to impact me? And when I ask you your opinion, you're going to start the wheels in your head turning. Oh, that's a good question. Hmm, maybe we better investigate. Wow, that's a great idea. Wow, I came up with that. Yes, you did. You came up with it. <laughs> and that will help them <laughs> embrace the changes or the the education or the the consultant or whomever or maybe they're like you know what you have great ideas let's talk some more so again you have to engage the person you're talking to you have to get their wheels turning you know we we did this all the time in in um in uh, a lot of the projects that I did with with change management and uh, operational excellence you don't go into someone's house and tell them they need to move their furniture around because you think it's going to work the best. You have to go in there with an invitation. You have to go in there with questions. What's going to work for you? What's not working for you? They start the wheels turning. Oh, you know what? That's a great idea. What can we do? Et cetera, et cetera. It has to be a two-way or three-way conversation in order for you to build the ownership and accountability. Yeah. Great point. Well, and I agree with that, by the way. So, <laughs> We're getting a bunch of questions now 
on LinkedIn. So I'm going to cherry pick a couple of these here. But um, Laura uh, on LinkedIn asked the question, what is the biggest cost for change management to consider in the implementation of an ERP project that is often ignored in the cost estimation? So what is the biggest cost for change management to consider in the implementation of, a, of an ERP project? So I'm not sure if the question is specifically around how much does change management cost? Or uh, maybe you'll start there. That might be an easier way to think about it. So what does change management cost versus what is the cost of not having change management, I guess you could say. So I know that Third Stage has done a ton of studies on when you have it versus when you don't and the implications of bringing it in at a later date. Um, putting a number around it. I mean, what would, what would you think if you want to put a number on it? Well, I've used the number and I've seen this, I, I don't know where, I think it was, uh, it was Forrester or someone, I can't remember, one, one of the industry analyst firms a long time ago, I remember seeing a number that was like 15 or 17% of your total budget, of your total uh, implementation cost. You should think of it in that order of magnitude. And, and whether it's 15, 17, or maybe it's 10 or 20, whatever the number is, I, I agree with what you said is you may look at that and say, well, okay, if I have a, so that means for every million dollars I spend on the project, I need to add another $100,000 for change management or whatever that number is. So so to your point, it's like, okay, I could spend an extra $100,000 on change management. Okay, that's an added cost. But what what does implementation look like post go live and post implementation if I don't do it? And that's the huge ROI yeah. equation that gets lost. People, people don't usually think of that. They think, how can I, how can I reduce this $1.1 million investment back down to 1 million, which is where I want it. All right. Thanks, Teresa. Thanks for being here today. That was a great discussion. And we certainly could have covered a lot more in that discussion, but hopefully that gets the audience started here on some things to think about as they think about their, their change management initiatives. So when we come back from a quick break, Parisa, Kyler, and I are going to talk a bit more about change management, unpack some of the themes we heard in that discussion with Teresa. We'll be right back with more transformation ground control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. My name is Eric Kimberling with Kyler and Parisa here today. And as always, you can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube and all the usual podcast platforms like Apple and Google and Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, etc. Be sure to also follow us on social media. You can follow Third Stage on YouTube, uh, Facebook, Twitter, etc. And uh, you can also subscribe to our channels as well as my channel as well. Um, you can find my uh, individual social media on YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, etc. So follow us both both the company and myself on, on social media. And uh, so we just had this great discussion with Teresa and sort of just scratched the surface of change management, but trying to do that high level flyover of 
what changes and how to get started and where the pitfalls are. What were some of your observations, Parisa? Were some of your thoughts or knee-jerk reactions from that discussion? Yeah, she puts it so simply. You know, I loved how she said, if there is any people factor in your processes that's going to be impacted by a software implementation, then don't ignore it. Even if you think it's minute and it's not a big deal, if it affects somebody, then you have to address it. And I think that just was such a black and white, simple way to put it um, that, that kind of paints the picture for it. So, um, you know, it, you guys talked a lot about, you know, the foundational elements, you start from the beginning, start from the inception of your digital transformation. And it, it got me thinking on the, on the back end. you know, you have a lot of companies that say, Oh, let's, let's implement a CRM. This will help us, you know, we're growing. Let's just, you know, we'll pick HubSpot. Let's put HubSpot in and our sales team is going to do great. They'll put their workflows in and it'll help us. And then they don't do anything when it comes to, to change management. And at the end of it, they're wondering why their teams aren't using it. And they, implement, you know, they put all this money into it. They, you know, poured into it. We're so excited. And yet their sales reps just don't even care because they were managing everything from their own emails. They were doing things a certain way. Why do they need to change? How do you come back from a botched OCM approach when you don't even think about it and you're now post implementation and nobody's using it? What what do you do? Well, I think first of all, you have to, you know, recognize that you know, change management was an issue. I think that's a, you know, even though the way you just described that scenario, it seems obvious that that, you know, would have been an issue or that there'd be a clear lesson coming out of this. But sometimes um, what you find is that people will still try to blame something other than the change management piece. So they'll say, well, the it's because we didn't configure the software the right way, or, you know, we didn't integrate the software to, you know, the CRM system to other, you know, back office financials or whatever the case may be. So, some of that may be true, but a lot of times that's just a symptom for the fact that you didn't address organizational change management. So I think the key, you know, the first step is to uh, admit or acknowledge that that was a problem, the organizational change piece of it. Um, I suppose if uh, what you're trying to accomplish is to how do you get that initiative back on track, knowing that people didn't adopt it and, um, you know, didn't uh, use the software the way that was envisioned, you know, I guess you have two paths you can go down. One is you can sort of maybe try to play catch up on the change management side and try to maximize user adoption and, and sort of start to move the needle and really hone in on the organizational change piece. Or in some cases, uh, unfortunately, a lot of organizations find that it, it was such a mess that they, they just aren't going to, they're not going to overcome it without sort they're not going to overcome that problem without sort of starting over and either re-implementing and kind of going through the process again, either with or without that same technology, it might be a different technology. Um, a lot of times people will throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, well, HubSpot in this example that you gave, HubSpot is the problem, so now we're going to move to Salesforce or something like that. That's unfortunate because usually you're just throwing more money and more technology at a problem that has nothing to do with the technology. Um, so I think it's really important to have a clear strategy and direction on how you go about that. But I think it all hinges on the fact that you have to recognize that change management was a problem and do things differently. Don't just do the same thing you just did because that's, that's how you got into trouble in the first place. So focus more on change management, easier said than done, of course, but that, that'd be my starting point advice. Yeah. I mean, would you implement new trainings or like put incentives in place? 
to get people to actually input their data? I mean, how can you, you have, so I'm just, I'm speaking because I know somebody who's going through this. So I'm like, you guys should have thought about this before you even put, you know, this CRM into place, but how do you even come back from it? I mean, you have, you have sales reps who are literally almost refusing to put their data and their workflows into this CRM. So it's like, do you just start over or is there like specific tangible things that maybe could help them? You know, every Monday you guys sit down and uh, have a training until you are good at this. Or, you know, if you do it, you get a bonus, <laughs> you know, you can throw more money at it, but will that solve the problem? I don't know. Before I answer that, I have to ask, is this person you're talking about, is that your husband? <laughs> Maybe. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've talked it to might be, Yeah, you know, I think, so So he runs a sales organization, right? He's going to laugh when he hears this. But, you know, it's implementing a CRM because they're growing so fast. They're scaling like crazy. And they they can't just have like 20 different email chains with all these different leads. They need to be able to compile it and clean it up and, you know, make it an actual process, right? Now you have some people who are utilizing it and some people who are just stuck in their own own ways. They forget to respond to their leads. They forget to do all these things or they pass off, you know, a, a task to someone on their team, but that person on their team has no idea what the context of the lead is. Um, so then the lead would fall through the cracks. And it's, it's really, it comes back down to just like this few people that are just used to doing it one way and no matter what they are you know advised to do they are still doing it that way so it's just how what do you do with the people on your team who just will not change yeah well i think you know the first thing is to understand you know why why what what did your husband do that is causing people not to <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I but, know. And I only know that, by the way, because I've talked to him about it. It sounded very similar to what I've talked to him about. Yeah. Um, but I think understanding why aren't they, you know, and that's the key is, you know, a lot of times when we, we go into these distressed, um, failed implementations, whatever you want to call it, um, you, you have to kind of walk through the process flow of the sales process in this example and understand, you know, why are people not entering it? You know, there could be a really good reason, like the they just don't understand how to use it or... Uh, it's really confusing or, you know, that they, they don't trust the data. Who, who knows? There's something there that's causing it. And so you have to understand what what that is. And, and you know, it's probably a 50-50 split. Sometimes it's a real issue that you can address. Maybe it's a process breakdown or something wrong with the technology that didn't get flagged or caught during the implementation. And then the other half or the other bucket of stuff is going to be just misperception. Like, I, I don't see what the value is. I don't see the point of putting this in or, you know, sales... I think CRM and sales automation is particularly difficult because you're dealing with people that are, um, they, they're not incentivized to be, uh, efficient necessarily, or to, to document stuff. They're being paid to, to sell, you know, they're being, they're, they're getting commission based on selling. They're not getting commission to enter data into a system. So if I can spend time closing another deal or two, or, you know, making more money on the actual work that's delivering value to me and my paycheck, it's going to be hard for me to justify why I need to go enter into a system. So you sort of have to do a sales job on the sales guys in these cases to help them understand how it's actually going to help help them. Um, so I, I think that's the you know the first couple things: listen, understand, and then also you know try to sell the the guys and gals on what the you know the benefits are to them and to the organization as a whole. 
Yeah, definitely. Sell the salesman. Yeah. And I think there's a, a, a an art to that, right? Um, in having that optimization phase where you're showing them this is how you enhance your job, but you do it kind of in a Jedi mind trick way by utilizing influencers. So if I have, you know, a, a salesperson in the Northeast that is just crushing it because they're inputting their things and who knows if that's actually why they're crushing it. But we can say, you know, this is um, Parisa's area and utilize that as a case study um, too. And then, you know, for salespeople, there's a lot of times they can have this intensity around their role just because that's who they are and that's why they're good at it. And then, you know, kind of weaving in the carrot and the stick approach, right? You've, you've optimized this. You've taught them how their colleagues are finding success with it. Um, you have regular check-ins. And then finally saying, you know, this is a, this is an expectation um, of the role at the very kind of last, last step to be able to do that. But hopefully you've already swayed them through, you know, just the overall communication of how this can help your job. Um, but, you know, I, I know, Parisa, you've been in sales roles, so have I. There's always going to be that one person. It's just like that one person that's married to the spreadsheet that you have to sit down and say, like, okay, we're going to take a more hands-on approach with this and really kind of uproot what is what is the problem here um, type of thing. So there can always be those one, two, three resistors that need that one-on-one -on -one conversation. So... And I would like to add that Josh Noble is not scary. He is a very sweet, kind person. So I know it's not the culture of fear there. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's just the fast-paced culture of the sales team because they're always on the road. They're always talking to new people. You know, they're growing so quickly that it's like, okay, now I have to sit down and do almost this administrative task that I didn't have to do before. Um, but one thing too that he's starting to realize is, you know, really tailoring the what's in it for me message to each person. You know, if a salesperson is, is motivated by money and they're leaving money on the table because their team doesn't have the context around a deal and a deal falls through. I mean, that's something that could be used as a carrot to help kind of pull them into the the new processes. So, you know, they're, they're making progress, they're doing well, but it's just interesting hearing, you know, the challenges that they've been up against as they rolled out this new CRM, because, you know, it's, it's seemingly so simple. Like you don't think about it unless you're listening to this podcast or knee deep into, you know, the content that we're putting out and always talking about the power of organizational change management. You just think, let's implement a CRM. This sounds like a good idea, but you aren't thinking the, you know, about the full picture about, you know, what does that mean for your team and, and how it's going to change their day to day? Yeah. And Teresa yeah. mentioned yeah, that, right. You know, if you do that at the beginning, right. If you do include those stakeholders in the conversation, um, then you're able to be able to kind of get in front of that resistance by including them. And I think that's what she was saying. And you were Eric about where does change management fit within the process? Well, that would be one of the, the first steps, right? So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think you guys bring up a good point too, which is, you know, even this example you brought up, Parisa, is a situation where it's sort of a, a pain, an obvious painful situation where salespeople just aren't using the system and it's a, and it's a problem or a clear problem. Most organizations have that, you know, 
have that challenge, but it's sort of more under the, the radar. So, you know, you implement it and it, it's not that things aren't working at all, but it's just that people could be using the system better. And, and you look at the value that companies lose and organizations lose by not optimizing that huge investment they just made. And just taking that little tiny bit of extra time and money to optimize is just fast. It's a fascinating organizational dynamic to me why companies just don't do that because it's that little missing link between spending all this millions of dollars or however much money you just spent on your transformation and connecting the dots between that and the actual value that you were expecting to get. It's like they just stopped that short of getting the value. So you have the cost without the benefit. And so I think that's the way to think about it is assume you're going to have to do some optimization. You're not going to get 100% right no matter how good you are, even if you hire third stage and have the best team and whatever, you're still going to fall short from what you expect and what you could be getting. So you, you do need to optimize that um, after the fact as well, for sure. Right, right. So It's interesting. It's interesting for sure. I think, you know, it's a learning lesson because once you go through it as a, you know, as an executive or as a business owner, then you realize the importance of organizational change management. But maybe, you know, you're not thinking when you're a small to medium sized business and you haven't, you know, implemented a new technology for your team, you're not really thinking, oh, I must be diligent about my organizational change management strategy. You know, it's kind of just, you know you just roll with the punch and, you know, you think about the ins and outs of it and every corner of it, but maybe you just don't give as much attention as you would if you had experience, um, in how much of an impact OCM can have. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know you've got some more questions or thoughts on this, uh, which I do want to get to, but let's take a quick break and we'll come back with more discussion around change management and, uh, you're listening to transformation ground control. We'll be right back. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, Contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. I'm here with Kyler and Pariso. We're having a fascinating conversation here about organizational change management. And uh, this is sort of a follow-up to our, our guest that we had on earlier, Teresa from the Third Stage team. And that's sort of sparked additional questions here. So uh, Pariso, what, what other questions do you have based on that conversation or, or thoughts? Yeah, well, while we're at the topic of sharing examples, I figured we could touch on the the note that you made about your expert witness cases that you've sat on. Um, it was at the beginning of the interview with Teresa that you mentioned a lot of the expert witness cases that you sit on and, and these things uh, that go to court go to court because of an organizational change management issue. So I'm curious if there's one case that stands out in your mind that you could share with us. I'd be curious to hear about the the change management drama. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of change management drama on these cases. And, and for those that don't know, you know, being an expert witness is essentially there's a lawsuit 
and the attorneys from each side, the plaintiff and the defendant, will hire an expert witness. And that expert witness's job is to analyze the facts of the case and go through all the documentation and interviews and um, just basically everything that happened during the project and sort of piece it back together and do a root cause analysis of why did that project fail. And as part of that process, it's really interesting because not only do you look at things like project status reports and project plans and budgets and, you know, executive steering committee readouts and test scripts and, you know, sort of tangible deliverables, but you also get an insight into how things unfolded via email exchanges. So, you know, when there's a lawsuit that happens and, and I'm speaking to primarily to uh, American law here. So if you're, you know, a lot of our audience is not in the U.S., a lot of our clients are not in the U.S., but in some of the legal systems vary throughout the world. But in, in the United States, the typical process is when there's a lawsuit, um, part of the discovery process is they'll sweep the computers and the emails of everyone that was involved in the project. And they'll get access, the attorneys will get access to all these emails. So you sort of see the internal communication that's happening and things of that nature. So that's something to, to be aware of, by the way, if you're going through a transformation, especially if you're seeing that there's trouble brewing and you think there could be litigation or legal action, you just want to be careful what you document because that stuff will eventually be seen by an expert like me and attorneys and things like that if it ever were to go to litigation. But setting that aside, so you get to see a lot of the inner workings of the team. And I remember the very first project... Um, or the very first expert witness case that I was involved with was probably about 15 years ago. We had tons and tons of emails. It was like thousands. It was literally thousands of email exchanges just amongst the team. And there was so much infighting and uh, backstabbing and, and things that were just really unhealthy as an organization. And you add to that the fact that it was a it was a executive team at the top that were also infighting. They couldn't see you know, they couldn't come to a consensus on what the project should be and what the transformation should mean to the organization. And so you just had this really hostile environment where people were fighting and backstabbing and they were churning through people on the project. They just kept firing the project manager like every six months. They fire the project manager, bring out a new one. And I remember by the end, the last uh, project manager, I actually, I had never met the person, but I felt really bad for this person because the day they started the project, and they had come up through the organization. So they weren't new to the organization. They knew what was going on, but now they were elevated into this um, no-win situation of being the project manager in this case. And they, you know, she she had all these emails where basically she was like crying for help. Like, I just don't think I'm going to succeed in this role. I'm being set up for failure. I don't see how anyone could succeed in this situation. And it was just a really stark reminder of, you know, how important not just change management is, but how important alignment is and just a healthy culture and, making sure you have the right organizational dynamics in place to be able to go through that sort of massive change because most organizations are under enough stress as it is. Most employees are under enough stress as it is. The last thing you want to do is just, you know, add fuel to the fire by throwing in a badly run, you know, transformation or enterprise technology initiative on top of that. So, so I don't know, it's not a really specific, I can't get into details of what, you know, who said what and that sort of thing, but it was just a very interesting eye-opening experience in that case that, made you realize that in this, you know, one of our conclusions in this case was that the organization wasn't going to succeed no matter what technology they tried to deploy, no matter what consultants they brought on, they were not going to succeed because they had such fundamental problems as an organization that it just wasn't going to, wasn't going to work. It's like a house of cards. They're trying to build a house on a, on a house of cards or on a shaky foundation. So um, anyway, so that's, you know, an extreme example, but something that I think a lot of organizations can probably relate to in some way. 
Wow. See, it all comes back to that culture because it sounds like that is a very hostile work environment. Yeah. <laughs> just it was, as it yeah, is. Yeah, I have anxiety yeah. just talking about that, just hearing that story. <laughs> and then I know, Eric, one of our, our partners um, at TAF Law, Marcus Harris, actually gave a presentation at Digital Stratosphere on contracting. And I was very surprised because that can be a, a real technical subject to hear him say the biggest issue that he sees in ERP failures is organizational change management. And that's coming from a lawyer himself. So it really does showcase how important it is when it comes to even just the contract piece of going through um, that process. So I was surprised to hear him say that. Um, and kind of talk to that because usually, you know, they, that can be a bit more um, kind of formalized when it comes to why do they fail? Well, it's budget. Well, it's this and that. But um, if you haven't seen it, uh, we do have it up on our website, too, if you want to go check out Marcus's presentation because it was pretty fascinating and really kind of um, gave some hard science behind the importance of OCM. Yeah, it, it always is interesting to hear an attorney like him uh, speak to that, but he's done, you know, he's been involved in enough lawsuits and uh, that sort of thing to, to have uh, seen the the consequences of not having change management. And in addition to registering for Stratosphere, the Stratosphere event on our website, um, which, you know, we have all the content out there for free. So you can go out there and, and just grab whatever presentations you want. We also have, he's also been a guest on this show a couple times. I think episode two, if I remember correctly, is either episode one or two, one of the very first episodes he was on. And then just a few weeks ago, he was, uh, he actually helped co-host while um, one of you or both of you were on maternity leave for some reason. I, I can't remember which one of you, neither one of you were available. So we had him as sort of a, a stand-in. So many babies. And uh, we talked about that, that sort of thing. <laughs> Hard to keep yeah, track. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, so, so many moms on the show. I can't yeah. keep track of uh, who's, yep. which, which kid we're talking organizational about. Organizational change and family dynamics too. <laughs> it can exactly. span all Yep, another topic we've covered on the show. Yep, yep. Definitely. Um. <laughs> now, it, I mean, this is such a pivotal time when you're implementing new processes, new technology. And I feel, you know, it's a no brainer that it all comes back to leadership and, you know, piggybacking off of what you said, executive alignment. Right. But it's it's that leadership of who's steering the ship through to this new terrain. Right. And there's different levels of it, too. I mean, when you look at how a uh, a transformation team is structured. You have your steering committee and keep me honest, but you have your steering committee, you have your project team, and then you have your employees and your upper level managers, your lower level managers, and then maybe your influencers. So I'm, maybe we can talk a little bit about what uh, leadership attributes kind of speak to each of these levels. Cause you have, for example, you have the steering committee, right? And they're that big picture. Where is the company going to be in 10 years? What is the future state? How does, you know, our processes, how will our processes translate from today to tomorrow, et cetera. Then you have your project team. Um, and maybe Eric, you can kind of break down the project team a little bit more, but you have the people who are actually, you know, implementing the technology and then you have your OCM team. Is that right? Do you have a team that's specifically focused on change management? We typically do. Yeah. Uh, just because it, in many cases, it's a such a specialized um, skill set, but you know, as we talked about with Teresa, it you know, change management can get a bad rap or be highly ineffective if it's if it's too detached from the rest of the project. So, in a perfect world, you would just sort of embed change management within everything you're doing. But 
Um, not everyone's good at it. So you end up bringing in specialists like Teresa to help facilitate the process. But at the end of the day, you should really strive to make sure that that's embedded within your team and that you're, you're not overlooking change management or focusing too much on the technical configuration rather than the more important uh, people side of it. Right. And then I feel like from that level, from the project team to like the rest of the organization, the upper level managers, that's like the biggest hurdle because you don't have the necessarily all of those, that management team or those peer to peer influencers in the room on the project per se, but they are the ones that are going to kind of help trickle down the change, right. And the new processes. So um, you know, I, I just recall in the last organization I was with, we did a whole transformation from Outlook to G Suite to Google. And the way that they had it was that, you know, you'd have a specific manager on the team that would kind of be the pioneer for the, for the um, new technology. And then you'd also have a peer influencer. So somebody that you like, trusted, respected on the team, um, that would kind of be trained up, be your go-to person if you had a question on how to use a certain functionality of it. Um, so that you wouldn't necessarily be going to your managers, going to, you know, the project team, I guess, in certain circumstances to ask a question. Instead, you just go to somebody on your team. So my question is for those people who are the ones that are, you know, that at the front line, if you will, of, of influencing people to start utilizing the software, what are some leadership technologies or leadership technologies, leadership attributes that they should keep top of mind as they are trying to convince their peers or convince their direct team to start utilizing a software? It's a, it's a combination of things. I mean, one, one is the, uh, ability to coach and, um, you know, educate people and help them understand and be patient to help people understand how the new processes work. Um, part of the, another part of the skill set that's really important, especially in the implementation itself is the listening skills and really having a good pulse on why people might be struggling or anticipating why people might struggle, uh, with the new technology and really just, you know, trying to involve people, even though you can't involve everyone in the entire organization, you can still involve, you know, other people from your, your group or from your, your, your work team or whatever the case may be. So I think those are the two biggest things are, are the ability to listen and understand and also to be the ability to coach. And then also, you know, I'd say it's for, this is probably, this is a true statement for any of the roles that you just mentioned, but for any role, whether you're an executive sponsor or a steering committee, project team, or a influencer or subject matter expert, um, you need to have the skill set of understanding the way the business works today, but not being too wed to it to where you don't see a, a different way. So it's, it's almost like if you can, if you can get the best of both worlds of that highly tenured person that's been around forever and understands and has all that tribal knowledge that exists within the organization, but they're not tethered to that and they can see a vision for, you know, how things could be almost like a newbie would have if coming into the organization brand new, um, that, and that's a hard balance to find because someone that's new might have good ideas, but they don't understand how things work today. So they don't have credibility and they can't necessarily connect the dots. Someone that's been here forever or is highly tenured may not see, you know, other options for how things could work and they may not be open to it. So you have to find that personality that, you know, I don't know if, I don't know what the word is. It's not that hungry personality, but that eager personality that even if they've been around for a long time, they're very eager, they're open, um, they're flexible, they're not, you know, too rigid or too, you know, set in the ways that things have 
have operated in the past. So it's a tough balance. But if you can find that skill set across the border for all these roles, that's that's a really important skill too. Yeah, I like how Teresa put it, um, and she said, you know, a title doesn't make a leader. I thought that was a really powerful statement um, in in showcasing that. And I also had no idea that, and I can totally see it, how working with the executive sponsor of a technical project can maybe not be as in tune to the human side of the business um, and explaining to them or the executive team why change management is important, I can imagine, you know, is, is a difficult task. Um, so I like how, you know, she she kind of pointed that out, Parisa, to your point of, of saying, you know, there there is this gap in which we need to evaluate the human impact on the business and how roles will change, how we communicate that transparently, and understanding the leaders we need in these key roles. And they might not be, you know, the our top person that can code or something like that. They may be a different um, just type of personality factor to make everything comfortable and to, you know, alleviate any resistance within teams. Yeah, well said for sure. Yeah, and, you know, another thing that Teresa mentioned that I had never thought of before was you have all this energy at the end of a transformation. Say you implement the new technology, your team adopts it well, you crush it on the OCM side. Why let that energy fade? She she mentioned harness that energy and keep it going and kind of integrate it into your culture, which I thought was genius because if you, she even said it, I mean, if you're not growing or adapting, you're dying. I mean, it, in today's world, we were talking about it at the beginning of this episode is things are changing so fast and you blink and you're, you have new competitors who are doing new things. If you're not nimble and flexible and rolling with the punches, if you will, then you're, you're, you're hurting yourself as a business. So what, I mean, Eric, you, you have spoken many times about how to cultivate a strong culture, right? Just based off of your experience. So maybe we can touch on, on like tying that, openness and willingness to change into your culture how what would be the word to the wise what would you tell somebody who wants to cultivate a, a, a culture like that where they are you know excited for for new things and you know the team is making recommendations and people think that you know my ideas can actually push the, the company forward and we're not afraid to adapt how can somebody build a culture like that well, there's a few things. I mean, there's there's leading by example and, and demonstrating that as, as leaders within the organization. So if you show that you yourself and the way you manage and the way your the team below you is you know supporting you is in a way that's not afraid to change and and, and willingness to be nimble and that sort of thing, then that can be um, one of the more effective ways to do it. Um, one thing I would not do is just assume that because we're putting in new technology that gives us more flexibility or more adaptability that that's going to somehow change our culture because it won't. It might influence or bend it a tiny bit, but you need the the behavioral piece of it to go along with it. So, you know, I think you have to look outside. If you're in the midst of a transformation and part of what you want to do is create that culture, then I wouldn't rely on the transformation itself to do it. You can pepper in things that that drive that or reinforce that direction with the culture, but you have to look outside just to the day-to-day -day way you're running the business and the way you operate as an organization. Um, you can't just rely on the, on the 
initiative itself to drive that change. Um, so you really have to look, you know, look look beyond the ERP or CRM or HCM project you're on, and, and look for other ways to do that. So, um, you know, it's also built in the way you reward people, the um, the way you review people, performance management, the, the types of people you hire. You can start hiring more people that are that just demonstrate those characteristics that you want, and, and you start to you know slowly integrate them into that culture and have them affect the culture. Um, and then the people that are there, you know, through performance management and compensation systems and just other processes, you know, you, you sort of build those in a way that, that drives that, that behavior. So there's no one answer. You have to do a pretty comprehensive view of what your culture is today, where you want it to go. And then what, you know, what are we going to do to change the culture from, to get us from point A to point B, knowing that it's not going to happen overnight and it's not just going to be over one day. We're going to constantly be pushing in that direction. Mm-hmm. And I think we can take um, a tactic that we've talked about before here about project health checks. Well, there can be culture health checks too. And when it comes to leadership, it's so important that they take a step back and actually understand or listen, as you said, Eric, to see how the culture is going um, and implement those processes consistently. Because it's very easy to be a leader of a team or a leader of an organization, and then all of a sudden these things are surfaced to you and you had no idea there was, you know, this disruption in the overall business. So I think a, a huge part about fostering that culture of inner innovation and transparency to, as we said, leverage that energy of the transformation is really making sure that we are consistently going to we even call I you know associate everything with pregnancy, but the fourth trimester, right? The fourth trimester of um, your project, right, should be checking to make sure that that culture is still intact and the technology is benefiting that. So I think that's one piece that that we miss a lot of times um, in just knowing, you know, what are your coordinators experiencing? What is your customer service reps experiencing? What is your, you know, warehouse experiencing? And understanding the importance of, of knowing that and having that awareness so that if there is any cultural rifts, you can really identify and address that at that level before it becomes the organization's DNA. That's right. Yeah, it, it all comes back to people, processes, and technology. And although it's a tripod, I really feel like if your people aren't aligned and on the same page and your culture isn't there, then the other two are not existent either. Because without people, your processes aren't going to work themselves and your technology is not going to work itself, you know? Yeah, yeah very true. Well, that's, yeah, it's a good, that's a good place to leave it, you know, on the, on the cultural transformation side of it. Cause I think it, you know, that really in many ways is the foundation of any, any transformation, even though you may think it's about technology or even your business processes, it really is about the, the kind of culture and the type of organization you're trying to build. And then you build the processes and the technologies on top of that to support whatever it is you're, you're trying to do. I think most people kind of flip it and say, well, it's really about the technology. We're going to start with the technology, then we'll figure out the processes. Then if we have time, we'll get to the culture and the change management stuff. And it really should be the opposite. You know, it should be flipped around. Right. So right. Definitely. Yeah. And one last plug for Teresa, um, in just giving you some additional content, she did have a great conversation with Sarah on our digital stratosphere, um, podcast just a few weeks back about organizational change management. And we also have a brand new blog on the secret sauce for organizational change management. For those of you that are on our email list, that's what we 
provided um, this week. So lots of opportunity to kind of take some of these ideas in, in different content formats. Yeah, it's a good, good point. And, and the other thing to note is that, you know, if you're not following myself in third stage uh, on social media, that's a great way to get daily updates and on our blogs and our videos and our podcasts and all that stuff. We put out a ton of content, so be sure to, you know, follow us on social media and certainly check out our web stuff, our website at thirdstage-consulting.com. And uh, obviously, you know, we're, we're posting stuff daily, new stuff up, up there every day. So uh, that's a good good reminder for all of us. So, uh, well, great. Well, thanks for being here again today, Kyler and Parisa. And thanks to the audience for listening in today. We'll see you with a new episode next Wednesday as we do every week on Wednesdays. You find new episodes on YouTube and all the uh, audio pod the audio podcast platforms as well. So be sure to subscribe and listen next week and ongoing basis and certainly circle back to some of the other uh, episodes. If you haven't listened to the other 28 episodes, we've got a lot of different topics we cover, including change management. There's a couple episodes where we hone in on change management uh, in addition to this episode. So be sure to go back and listen to some of those as well. And uh, we will look forward to seeing you all next week and have a, have a great week in the meantime. Take care. Thank you.